Welcome back to the B2B Startup Sales Podcast from Manuel and myself, Patrick. Thanks for tuning in again today, episode number 12, Bib Max. Max has been um, a sales coach and trainer for like 10 or 15 years now. He has founded his own startups and so on. A very successful guy and a very, very interesting sales approach. I actually learned most of what I know today about sales and of most of what I do and how I do sales from him. He's really a guy who is pushing the approach from, you may know um, the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. First, try first to understand before to be understood. So listen first, talk afterwards. He is a, um, a strong believer in this, in, in that sales approach and me too. Um, so talk first, ask first questions, and then at some point show your solution. Really interesting stuff um, he has to say and interesting techniques. So if you don't know how to do it, if you're still like, hey, well, my customers come into the come into our um, into our talks and say, yeah, I'm expecting a demo from you today. I'm looking forward to see that. If you struggle with this, um, how to change that for you to ask questions in, instead of talking about your solution all the time, tune in. Interesting. Um, Max has a lot of good techniques about that. Uh, so we talk about that and other stuff. I hope you enjoy it and I hope you can learn stuff for your day-to-day -day sales life. Have fun. Welcome everyone to the next episode of the B2B Tech Sales Podcast. I'm very lucky and happy to welcome Markus Eilers today. Hello, Max. I'm super excited, Patrick. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, pleasure, pleasure. I'm really Welcome, excited. everybody. Yeah, so Max and Marcus, actually, how do your friends call you? I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure. I call you Max all the time. Not sure how, how actually, <laughs> how, what's the correct thing to do. And you're totally fine doing so. My mom calls me Marcus. Okay. But if you look into the detail, it's more like it's, it's spelled more European. So some of my old friends, some of my new friends have decided to turn this into Max because it's easier to, just easier to spell. I see. Today. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. So pleasure to have you here, Max. Um, so Max is a, a serial entrepreneur. I'd say he built a few companies, sold one or two. Not sure. You can tell a little bit more about yourself afterwards. I want to say at the beginning that I'd say 80% of what I like of my skills today in my sales skills, I probably learned from you. I, I can I can say that it's a classic 20, 80, and 80%. I learned the past three years and most of the concepts, techniques, and recommendations about what to read, I got from you. The most valuable stuff I have to say uh, since the start of my career in sales about 10 years ago. So um, yeah, I look forward to hear your story, Max, how you got into sales, what excited you about it and, and why you still like it today. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a, I think that's a very brilliant start into, into the topic because now probably most people are wondering, uh -huh, is this one of these sales guru trainers? <laughs> and, is, and I mean, probably uh, the answer is simple. Everybody knows that that's something you're born with, right? Sales or, or the coach? No, no, you're born with that, right? I mean, either you are a sales guy like me or you are not, right? And I'm a born sales guy. Um, and before I founded Italy, I actually trained Chuck Norris. Uh, in, in, no, okay, I'm kidding. <laughs> so the, the, real, the real story, right? The real story is I'm, I'm probably the worst the worst person at sales that you could imagine. So if, if we were doing an exercise, imagine like this small guy, super introvert, like imagine the worst person you could imagine when it comes to selling. Hmm. And you, you, can, you cannot do differently than automatically come up with my, with my old self, if you will. And um, there are a lot of stories and I think they are more interesting than all this selling a company um, serial uh, entrepreneur thing. 
I think it's important to understand somebody's doing something and because why would somebody listen if it's not relevant, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But all those things that I passed on to you and I had the joy of, 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 of seeing you succeed at it, um, I learned from somebody, of course. So I got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of uh, my knowledge when it comes to, to being successful at, uh, at creating leads, uh, having that systematic conversation with them that I so strictly believe in. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I learned a lot from uh, from the Mahan Khalsa school, if you mm -hmm. will. It's, it's it's in the Franklin Coffee Corner. They bought all of his teachings, and from a German trainer uh, a duo, actually Michael and Claudia Simon, and um, they taught me a lot. You know Mike, um, yeah. because yeah. we trained we trained together, and uh, long before that ever happened. I had trained my conversational muscle and my my I had trained to overcome my introversion um, because I had to. And that's really interesting. So if 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 I remember my old self, self I, I founded my first company when I was 19 and I had to. And at that time, I was a student of information technology because I, I liked the idea so much that I could you know, like sit behind a computer all day and call it work. <laughs> and um, the thing was that I moved to I moved to a different location, uh, a few hundred kilometers out, to study there in a bigger city. And my my calculations were all wrong, right? So as a student, how much income would I need in order to survive? I was too optimistic. So um, I started to notice in month three or four that at the end of the month I didn't have. I was smoking at that time. I didn't have cigarettes. I, I was eating tomato soup. <laughs> for several days wow. and um, I had to find a job. Yeah. And that was the first thing I, I, I really managed to land a job. Uh, although I almost died when it came to the application conversation, I almost died, but I, I managed to land the job and um, I worked for three euros an hour in an engineering team where everybody else was charging 75. And uh, the problem was not that people were disrespectful with me or that they wanted to pay me less. The problem was that I didn't, I did really not understand the value of the services I was providing to them. I did not understand what they were charging. I did not understand what I was contributing and I did not understand um, if they were willing to pay more, but I made the suggestions. Mm -hmm. I, I tried to give them the solution to uh, to their problem and they were like super excited, super happy, wondering probably all night and all day how I could work for three hours, uh, three hours an hour. Yeah. And that was only once. And, and there you're like, this is followed by multiple occasions where I did not understand the value of my services, then made suggestions uh, that did not really use the situation or, or where people were trying to get to and then underrated my own value and i worked for three hours an hour three euros an hour i worked for 11 euros an hour i worked for 12 euros an hour um until the point came where i started to understand that it's probably not me it should not be me making the suggestions it should not be me uh telling them about the value and uh, instead, I should try and understand better, listen better, and so forth. And um, since I had so much pain behind my mistakes, you know, like every fail, every fail I made cost me like a year or two or three. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, at some point, um, I was really worn out early in my life, and um, that was probably the that was probably a, a real low, right? A real low so this young guy trying to be everybody's friend trying to satisfy everybody's needs trying to be all places at the same time and um saving everybody's planet uh but not my own right mm -hmm. and um i mean this could lead to a very different uh, discussion where we're talking about uh um how it's really possible to look very successful to other people but be completely unfulfilled. You can be totally unfulfilled in your life and other people won't notice because you have these uh, like truckload of cars, truckload of employees, truckload of customers and so forth. But this, if you are the type of guy who puts 
themselves under pressure just in you know, like for one reason and one reason only and that on one reason was i i would not want to do the sales job right i would not want to sell um, my services for for more money i would not want to understand go deep enough in the conversation so i got better and better at the presentation and i, I got better and better at uh, selling myself under value and putting my whole system under pressure mm -hmm. and at some point it, at some point it just cracked and collapsed mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so and that's for me that's it happened to you that you felt in a situation where you weren't fulfilled it looked good yeah. from the outside but you sell yes absolutely absolutely company yeah. was growing and growing and growing yeah but if you if you have created a system that that you know, like puts itself under under this this huge amounts of pressure all the time at some point it has to collapse and typically there's there's uh, somebody who's you know, like fight fencing it off all the time mm -hmm. putting out the small fires mm -hmm. uh, making sure there's you know, like the, the the team over there they need revenue here you need revenue so you're pretty busy and mm -hmm. um, you're doing a lot of things right probably but you you never get to doing the the right things Mm -hmm. And you're like, there's a lot of, of, of calendar sayings and, and statements you could use here. Uh, they all describe the same phenomena. When you're working in your company, you're not working on the company and so forth. And mm -hmm. um, when, it, when everything cracked and collapsed for the first time, for me, I was uh, 24 or 25. Yeah. But I was, I was already six years into the, into the entrepreneurial game, if you will, right? I was already six years into being the sole responsible guy for bringing enough work, mm -hmm. for bringing enough money, for helping everybody understand their job and so forth. So, um, and that was a hard and tough time for me because I felt invincible. And when you're that young, right, I, I believed that life is endless, you know, like, if we survive this year, then we still have, I don't know, 1,400 years uh, to build a legacy. And now I'm, I'm, I'm 41. I know it's not true, right? Yeah. <laughs> what no, it's not true. What happened when it collapsed? Oh, uh, uh, you like, uh, uh, like a lot of people probably, I was always afraid that this one project could fail. Mm -hmm. And so we did everything to not let it fail. But at some point, something slipped it seriously slipped right yeah and we messed up a pretty big project um mm -hmm. for one of for it, it was a global project i was responsible for it uh at a very young age mm -hmm. um typically too young for it but yeah. you know, like my all my credentials and and my my track record you know <laughs> everything was beautiful so um yeah and, and and we just we just it just hit the wall right and then there were all these beautiful consequences coming out of it. And uh, um, I was emotionally ruined. Mm. I, had a, I had a physical burnout, a real burnout. I was, for six months, I was shaking when my phone rang. No, I was really, I was done with it. I was really done with it. Wow. I couldn't work. I yeah. couldn't take care of my team. And um, uh, a severe disaster. And, and interestingly, that, that was like, that was the the moment of truth for me where where I also started to become more responsible from a resource perspective, more responsible for me, more responsible for my team, mm -hmm. more responsible for what the customer really needs. Because mm -hmm. most of the things we did back then, most of the projects we did, I would, I would swear an oath that 80% of what we did was, was stuff that was unrequired. Mm -hmm. It was nice to have. Mm -hmm. But we burned everybody down. It was not just me, right? We had people there. They were like 18, 20 years old. They were uh, programming engineering software. Um, we were wearing the customers out because they had their timelines made be be before they spoke to us. Mm -hmm. So they made all these mistakes um, and we trained them on it, right? So whenever yeah. they made these mistakes, we, we helped them succeed in the end. So they made more mistakes. <laughs> And um, instead of building a system of improving quality, which you can, and I highly advocate doing that, mm -hmm. we built a system that was deteriorating. It was you know, like every, every round trip we had, every new project we had, um, we actually delivered lower quality. Yeah. We had less attention. We had less energy. We had less will to, to make it really good, you know, but we had this, we had this 
idea of being per, of perfectionism, which is actually, I think Tony Robbins would say it's not a standard. It's like the it's like the lowest standard you could have because you can never get to it. Yeah, yeah. So we didn't. We were we were we were not making the right decisions or not making any decisions at all. We were super reactive. You know, like customers told us what to do, we did it. And um, at the end of the day, when I was 25 and I was sitting there in the black hole, I had to recognize that I was doing nobody a favor. I, that, I was not doing myself a favor. I was not doing my family a favor. I was not doing the customer a favor and so forth. And the tipping point where it all, where it all uh, came to be better at the end, you know, like the, the years to come, the tipping point was my ability to have a meaningful sales conversation. And I hated the idea to wow. be a sales guy. I never wanted to be a sales guy. And um, um, it's interesting how I admire the discipline of sales and conversational excellence today. Mm -hmm. And how I think as an introvert, even as an introvert, um, you have everything you need to succeed at it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you succeed at it, you can provide real value to that customer. You can provide real value to your own family. You can provide uh, some real meaning to your own life and company and so forth. So that's why I believe that uh, sales and, uh, and you're like all those, all those disciplines contained in the sales game are among the most important uh, skills you can and should have today, no matter what the job is, right? Yeah. If you are a consultant, you gotta you gotta get this straight, right? If you are, or you will pay for it, like me. Mm -hmm. If you are looking for a job, you gotta get this right. If you are an entrepreneur and you wanna you know, like you wanna get to that next level, you wanna take your company and make it independent of of you as that one voice that is able to sell your stuff, right? Oftentimes we meet founders and they're good at explaining, they're good at selling, they're good at understanding the customer, and they have all their skin in the game and then they're trying to build this team that is able to to sell their technology and, and make it more meaningful and put it more places so it, it can develop uh, um, those ripple effects and become even more relevant and they find a hard they have a hard time doing that and um, I believe everybody is in sales when it comes to developing this muscle it's a very important muscle the muscle, the muscle to find out what the real problem is. You mean? Yeah, the muscle to have a meaningful sales conversation. It, mm -hmm. and, and there are, there are. I mean, we, we labeled this uh, this episode the three secrets to selling in a downturn. Yeah. Because especially now, uh, where people are, you like the foot is already above the break, right? They're like, like most most organizations are like in the millisecond before tapping on the break, and that changes everything. We've been there two thousand seven. 2008 we've been there 2001 um the reason we're here is it tells me we survived but it hasn't been fun all the time right and uh, <laughs> and selling stuff in a downturn is a different game it's where challenger sales is born right it's it's uh it's really something different and yeah. um, developing this muscle to have this meaningful sales conversation involves three to four things and um, I want everybody to be good at it. Yeah. Can you can you can you tell me what are the signs in a conversation that you are having a meaningful sales conversation? What yeah. I, yeah. Yes. So if I think about it, if I if, and, and I think this, it's good to have this left and right comparison, right? Yes. So most most people who who have not been in sales or have never learned sales on a on a certain level. Or they watch salespeople do their jobs. They think a sales conversation is somebody showing up, visiting the customer, pretty uninformed. I mean, it's good if they know who they are talking to in, in terms yeah. of last names, but they don't know a lot more typically. And then they just start using their HDMI cable to uh, to give the presentation. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you hear, you will hear a lot of things yeah. like, um, um, "This is not relevant for you," but let's just real quick, you know, like, let's have a look real quick. So they do a lot of stuff that is completely meaningless. And you hear the sales guy talk all the time. And some of them even they you like, they are they are more mature black belt, right? They can even interrupt the customer. 
and talk on. <laughs> and sometimes they show up as a team, two of them. So one would watch, one would give the presentation, the other guy would watch the customer and see where the customer is moving, right? Yeah, so, exactly. yeah. That's what they will buy, right? At mobile, you know, like when we talked about mobile, he was like uh, all goosebumps. He will buy mobile. So <clears throat> the ideal sales conversation is a real conversation. It's a real conversation. It's like uh, you are, let's just imagine this is a conversation. You are clearly the sales guy. You are asking good questions. You get me to talk. So at some point, you will summarize what you hear from me and make sure your understanding is uh, if you understood everything. And um, you, could, you could even come up with some conclusions and ask me if those conclusions are, are, are right and so forth. And a good sales conversation has a, has a cool structure, but it doesn't feel like an interrogation for the customer. It feels like a meaningful dialogue that is oriented towards all the goals that your customer wants to achieve or your future customer, your prospect, mm -hmm. all the meaning they put behind their organization and where they are going and why they are going there and so forth. So in Simon Sinek terms, a good sales conversation is like in the middle of the circle, right? It happens there. It, we yeah. talk about the why, the meaning, the mission, the outcomes. Yeah. The yeah. end in mind is something that, that uh, um, Franklin, uh, Franklin Covey, so Stephen Covey would say in his, in the seven habits book you gotta yeah. you gotta you gotta get this understanding from your customer like at the end of this just imagine we work together at the end after three years uh what will tell you this has been a very successful project what will tell you this has been a, a very good decision so you need that you need that idea of of where everything will land so you can design the process that leads there right yeah yeah, you described one very important technique already that I'm that I've been using also very often the past years is summarizing what the customer just told you. Like every like let's say five to ten minutes when when you talk when you ask questions, summarize it. He will or she will add. After that, she will help you to actually tell you whether you understood correctly, and she will add two, three new points to whatever you, you summarize. It's always like, you, that's, that's a good thing. Also to, to see whether you understood it correctly. The, yeah. The are, you saying, are you saying that summarizing is one of the most important ingredients in a sales conversation? In the first, fully agree. Yeah, 100%. It is, it is, it is, it is. Yeah, and uh, if, if, if you were like aware in front of the screen, you see how that feels, right? Somebody says something, the other guy summarizes, and all of a sudden, um, you have this element of trust. You can you can almost see it. You know, like typically a sales conversation is like two people; they are both afraid. They're talking to each other, but they're in in, in reality they're both afraid, and both of them are afraid for for you know, like good reasons. This the sales guy doesn't want you know, like they need the they need the deal, right? The customer doesn't want to. They don't want to uh, get end at the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. But yep. what do they know, right? I mean, imagine you put yourselves in the shoes of your own customer. It's it's probably not where you want to be, right? I mean, they have to they have to buy some enterprise document management or some artificial intelligence collaboration suite. Yeah, and and then they have something from Microsoft and something from from Oracle and something from somebody else. And now they are supposed to make a good decision, but every sales guy has a beautiful presentation. Every sales guy seems to have invented it. Every sales guy tells them like they are the best at it and whatnot. And, and, and you are there and you can spend the, you can spend your 250 grand only once. Right. <laughs> so yeah. what do you do? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and on the other hand, we all want to shorten our sales cycles. We want to get the decisions faster and there's only one that's my experience. Right. It's uh, and 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 it's also something that is in written in, in Mahan's book. Um, there's one very decisive element for the speed of the sales cycle, and that is trust. Yeah, it's not NLP. It's not it's not how you manipulate, right? It's not the price. <laughs> Most people would say, "I gotta make a better price for this." That's all crap. It's really the last thing you wanna you wanna uh, work on is the pricing. 
is really yeah. the last thing, right? Yes. Yes. Most yes. of the time, most of the time, technology is already too cheap. So where's the, what's the point in making it cheaper, right? Yes. And how do you know it's cheap? It's simple. You look at, a, at, an, at an average organization. They buy so much of this crap. They're not using it. That tells you it's cheap, right? If it were expensive, they wouldn't buy so much of it. Or yeah. they would yeah. use the stuff they're buying. Or they would think twice before buying it. Fully right? agree with you. Fully agree with you, yeah. Yeah. Now, Max, I think we sales ourselves um, digged our own holes here because the, the one issue that I encounter often is at the beginning of a meeting still, the customer is joining the meeting, uh, the, the prospect, like the potential customer is joining the meeting. And when I ask what their expectations are, they usually also, they say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to listen today to your presentation and I'm looking forward to hear what you have to tell about how you can yeah. help them. It's kind of now, you know, it's, it's kind of a problem because how to get from there to <laughs> make the customer talk, right? These days, they expect you to talk anyway. Yeah. I mean, what's the, how, that, how that came to be, but I guess it's because of salespeople making only presentations and now customers expect it or what do you think and how do you how do you get it uh, turn and turned around there yeah that's interesting and, and you like some customers they want even they, they will even help you by telling you excite me right they will give you tips like, <laughs> yes uh, i'm expecting a good show right exactly that, that is a standard we all created uh, you are absolutely right. It's 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 one of the things Michael Simon loves to say. Like for the last thirty five years or so, salespeople pitched what they had with you know like being completely unaware of who they were talking to. Didn't matter. It did not matter. They would do their presentation, and the presentation would start with the what, a lot of what what features and stuff. It would maybe even touch some somehow, like the process changes uh, the technology could bring. But how would they tell a story if they don't know who they were talking to and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. So that is one piece. And the other piece is that uh, customers got so used to this, uh, this procedure that they are now expecting it. And um, for the worst part, from a sales perspective, customers are now, this day and age, they are better educated. They have their own MBAs. They know how to analyze a problem. So typically, they have a good understanding of their problem, and they only invite you to give them a prize. They only invite you to have a feature comparison, right? So they, 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 the first thing they offer you is an HDMI cable if, if you don't ask for it. And yeah, uh, yeah the, the best way to get out of this is to start asking questions. And the best way to start asking questions is to have a really good explanation why you want to ask questions and, and why you are looking for more info, right? Exactly. And it's sometimes it's easy, right? There's a tool. Um, it's also something from the, from the Mahan uh, toolbox. I learned it from Michael. Um, it's, it's called move off the solution. And it's, it's very helpful. And it's not only, it's not only in the sales conversation, it's in every conversation where you could, where you feel the thing is tilting towards a solution, but at the same time you feel you're not ready to, the, the problem is not ready to be solved, right? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. whenever you think you, you got to deepen your understanding, if you're understanding correctly, if everything's right. And um, the best idea is to, to tell the customer that it's absolutely okay for you to talk about these things, of course, the details, the features, what you have, <laughs> and so forth, or references you have and whatnot, or how long it will take and the project management methodology you're using, mm -hmm. but not now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because to make sure it's relevant for them, there may be a few things you got to understand first, right? Yes. Before we talk about the beauty of our enterprise document management, uh, archivation, uh, and, and invoice, I don't know, scanning process workflow, element design canvas in the cloud or whatever you have <laughs> yeah i gotta tell you customer you like my customers in the past they have been using this stuff like eight billion different ways and they expect me to help them understand which 30 or 25 or 20 or 15 ways could be relevant for them 
And I think that's a fair demand. I'm the expert. You know, like we, nobody has implemented this thing more often than we. So if you expect the same from us to you know, like make a pre-selection, give you some valid, really good suggestions that meet your needs, then I gotta, gotta ask you a few questions if that's okay for you. And I've prepared them. It's easy, it takes us 28 minutes. And uh, before you get to a decision, before I ask anything of you, I will have answered those questions, I guarantee. So that's a way to turn it around, for instance. Yeah, like and it. We know from the old guy, this old guy in Greek, right? There was this professor in the good old Greek and he educated his pupils, students by asking questions only. Yes. Have you heard of him? Socrates, I guess. I have heard of him. Yes, and one of our one of our design patterns, if you will, when we when we create training programs or go to market strategies, is that uh, the one asking the question is always in the lead. Yes, you see that in every in in all the conversations. And when I have a conversation, usually I when I get a question from a customer, which which they do like quite often, even though you say now, hey, um, let's find out about your situation, challenges. Yeah. And and the impact, so they start to ask at some point, yeah, I read you can solve this, um, is that correct? So you have to take it, give a quick answer maybe, or, or tell them, hey, I'm going to answer that right after, here is what I need to know to answer that question, so that you take it and then directly ask a follow-up question basically to get to, to get going and to really find out what the, what the challenges are and what you can solve so that you can propose the perfect solution. Yeah. So is that, uh, to get back to the topic, the three secrets to sell in a downturn, is that one of the secrets or are there even more and others? Uh, I think that you like the, the, the important piece uh, when coming to selling in a downturn is that you, from my perspective, is the sales conversation needs, you can make the sales conversation damn easy mm -hmm. for you and your team, but you got to do a lot of preparation. And one of the secrets is having this conversation. It's the operationalized conversation, if you will. Yeah. And it's not hard. It's not hard. It's really not hard. Um, that, that is the part where when you are prepared, and you have an idea of how you can you know, like deliver a more uh, meaningful service and, and 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 what are the what are the 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 golden nuggets of value that you could propose right <laughs> and now you want to find out which ones apply for this customer it's this notion of deep understanding you got to you got to look for deep understanding with the customer and that means that you almost become their coach this is really an intense relationship at the same time. Interestingly, mm -hmm. most salespeople we work with, they are afraid of having a conversation with the decision maker, right? Yeah. Because yeah. this guy's like their boss, right? They could easily get fired in the process. Maybe they are afraid of something. They are afraid that there's no eye level, right? There's uh, so, and when you start coaching somebody, you're asking open questions. You try your, your own, your, your intent, your reason for being in this conversation is to get them to the best possible decision they can make. Mm -hmm. And because you are prepared so well, and because you're, you understand the value of your own product better than two years ago, and because you have spent so much thought on what, what this product, this service could do for the customer, you're now asking better questions, you now already know you have a good feeling that in 90% of the cases, the best possible decision they can make will be the decision for your special offer, right? Because this, you have created this offer, right? <laughs> That's one part of the preparation. Yeah. So I would not show up at a customer with an offer that I would not find compelling, especially in a downturn. I would not show up with a product that I believe is a nice to have, especially in a downturn, right? And I would not try and make the same show for every different decision maker, especially in a downturn. Because especially in a downturn, what I would do is I would like, I would try and you know, like put together in this beautiful box that maybe I've never used it before, 
but now I want to have this beautiful box and I want to put my best service in it. I want to put a five-step plan in it, how you can become successful with my service. I would put a few bonuses in there that you may, you may need them as a customer, right? Mm -hmm. Like templates or, I don't know, pre-designed workflows or uh, vocabulary for my KI engine or best practices from other industries. It doesn't have to be technology. It's anything that helps the customer ultimately succeed with my technology. Anything. I could, I could put a training in. I could put a live event in. I could put videos in there. Whatever it is. Right? Yes. So I'm not no longer selling you the HTML software. I'm also selling you the 25 top uh, website templates, for instance. Yeah. But I'm not selling you the templates plus a designer. I'm now selling you also the, the 300 example headlines for the website. So I got to spend some thought as the vendor on how I can get you to a place of success faster. And I will spend the, the conversation I have with you to understand if my idea of success is the same you have. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. I'm, if I sell you an online shop, the, the last thing you want is an online shop. Right? I mean, who needs an online shop? Nobody needs that. If you buy an online shop from me, what do you want to do with it? You want to sell stuff. You want to become you're like financially independent. You want to provide more choices for your family and so forth. So there's a lot of reasoning behind uh, decisions people make. And um, the, the larger it gets, the more we are in the B2B space where you're like an, organi an organization has eight or, or six people involved in the decision making. The more reasoning is behind, the more it's my responsibility as a vendor to get people to that place of success. And most of the time, it's really interesting. It's very, this is a very asynchronous thing to do. The, everything you add is probably only a tiny little piece of work for you and your team, mm -hmm. but the impact is so big, right? Oh, now all of a the sudden they know how to use your stuff. All of a the sudden there is a place of success. All of a sudden it becomes meaningful. All of a the sudden they, they are three months faster at deploying and using it. All of a sudden you give them, give them the email templates to do the change management internally, to motivate people to use the stuff. Whatever it is, your subconscious will tell you. I mean, you just got to ask yourself, what is keeping my customers from being successful with my tool? You already know it, I bet. So one of the things you got to do and one of the secrets for selling in a downturn is become a must-have. Become a must-have. But also as a vendor, make that offer so irresistible. And that is you know, like that goes hand in hand. If you have a nice to have tool, but you make it faster, you make it more deployable, you, you make the outcome more guaranteed, if you will. Um, that then you, you you climb up that ladder from being a nice to have to becoming a must have. You think that suffices like to add stuff to, to make sure that it's like change management is more successful, but the problem you solve itself by the product, let's say you have a product, a software as a service um, tech, and you want to solve a specific problem with the customer, you can't change. So you can't change the product by itself itself in a downturn, right? Otherwise, you'll have to okay, in, in weeks, you'd have to add features or, or some, something else. So you can't do that. So you cannot change the product. So you cannot change the impact your pro product has other than it's used better. But with selling it, you kind of sell it with it's going to be used by your uh, employees. Yes, we have all these this list, but how, how do you how do you tackle that? I mean, you can't change the product. Yeah, and I think uh, uh, and I hope most people don't have to. You know, like I, um, the the perspective I have here is most technology is sold under value, and that is because we as engineers we develop beautiful stuff, right? And most technology organizations are proud of what they are building, and mm -hmm. rightfully so. There's so much beautiful technology out there that nobody's using. For instance, um, uh, we have beautiful KI players in Switzerland, right? They provide really great stuff and it, it has different value for different industries, for instance. Yeah. But nobody's taken, nobody has the time to tailor the go-to-market and say like, this is the specific value we create for help desks at insurance companies, for instance. Mm -hmm. So now is the time. 
Now is the time to have a box that is just for insurance companies. It contains the same software. It contains the same workflow. But it, with respect to their business case, with respect to their outcome, yeah. with respect to their, with, to their pressures, right? Or if you have something for decision-making in a, I don't know, COVID test center, I don't know, something that is relevant right now, you want to put that in a box. It's my one of my favorite examples, and I'll bore the hell out of everybody who had a conversation with me in their lives. <laughs> one of my favorite, you know this example. Oh, yeah. is a protein shake, right? So you could always, most people would say like, here is my protein 80 version 12, right? It has like a molecular mass that is unmatched. It has the highest biodegradability, five times more effective than, and so forth and so forth. And and the audience is just sitting in front of the of the screen and they're like, great, right? So um, if you want to sell a protein shake, it's always better to put look better naked on the box, right? Yes. Because that's the result people are, are looking for. And now in a downturn, look better naked could become a nice to have, right? Yeah. Because you have different priorities. So maybe in a downturn, you don't want to spend the extra money. So my box will look different. I will tell you that this is a look better naked meal replacement. And instead of spending five euros per meal, you're now spending 160. Plus, it will you like take the fog out of your blood. It will make you like it, it will help you turn 140 at some point in your life. It will eliminate all the, the crap from your body. What what not, right? I will never lie. Everything I will say is the truth, but it's a marketing version. It's architecture, right? I'm adding features to my product it doesn't have through architecture, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. So, and, and that is, it's valid because now start, people start using the stuff differently. They create different results. And ultimately, people don't pay for the feature. They pay for the result. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if we can get them to the result better and faster, beautiful. It's just beautiful. You could add a hotline that does something for the customer that your software doesn't, right? And um, the, the possibilities are limitless, but the only, the, the most important limiting factor you have is time. Most of us don't have the time to rebuild the product right now. We may not even have the resources. If you are a startup, you know, like your, your last financing round is you know, like 12 months past. Uh, you did not reach your goals because of COVID. Uh, your investor did not reach their goals. What happens? Will you get that money or will you not? So the, the best way to break through uh, is to do something while we can, while we still can, right? Get active now, breakthrough mode, beast mode, get through to the marketplace with that new message. You know, like grab your customers, get their attention. Uh, that is, by the way, that is uh, uh, the third of the three secrets. Getting the attention, you're like, because that's yeah. so hard. Yeah. It's become really hard to get somebody's attention. Even if we have a conversation, I got to look you in the eye and say, like, I need your attention. Because if I don't do that, I will probably not have your full attention. You're like, something's going on in your head here. Um, smartwatch over here. Then uh, uh, your phone is, is maybe here. So everything's pulling on your attention, right? And that is, uh, 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 that is uh, it's an art to to get someone's attention it's really an art and the and uh the important piece is to turn these things into science into you know, like repeatable steps like how do i become relevant how do i get you to want to listen to me what are the questions that i can ask you that will pull you on pull you like out of the hole and put you on full alert so i have your attention mm -hmm. what is that systematic conversation that we can have where i help you understand first that the world is changing. Second, that there will be winners and losers. So you understand you are affected, right? But without me talking all the time and showing you slides, how, how would you do that? It's not easy, but it's, uh, it's what concludes the three, right? It's having irresistible offers that, that help people use your stuff in a way that it's really helpful and turns it into a must have. Mm -hmm. It's that, 
that deep understanding it's looking for that deep analysis that the, the you know, like the, this coaching aspect of the sales conversation where you help somebody really make a good decision and then help them also deliver on the on the result right yeah you yeah. find out during the conversation what's possible and what's not and yeah. the third is uh the third is to to have to be prepared for for grabbing someone's attention and keeping it yeah until they make this decision and you like all those three evolve around this element of trust because you you being relevant you providing the value you you demonstrating the understanding by summarizing repeating people will build the trust with you mm-hmm. and that is the that is the single most important factor that will give you the speed now you summarized it i just wanted to summarize it <laughs> Because one of the key topics today, no, but trust. So that's that's one of the most interesting things I get out today. Trust. If you wanna, if you wanna decrease the sales cycle, trust is your factor to look out for to build. And one thing you build it is meaningful conversations. That's basically yeah. number one. The second thing you said is is I think in a downturn, nail a niche. Um, there's also a good book I think about that. But in a niche, so so find. You, you mentioned insurance uh, um, call center, for instance. Find some some niche that your technology can cover. Craft your message around that, and go in with an irresistible offer. You call it. So, what's the what's the one or two things that an irresistible offer offer needs to have to be irresistible? Um, from, so, the first things I will work on typically is. Uh, uh... And like you said, a niche typically has to has to do a lot of with value, right? So people are totally afraid of, of doing niches because they are afraid that everything else passes by, right? So if I focus on insurance company and tomorrow uh, Daimler calls, right? And they want my solution for 380,000 people and I'm not prepared. Mm-hmm. And that never happens, right? And, and you could have like, you could go make a go to market for five niches at the same time, no problem. But this understanding for the specific challenges these people have, the understanding for the p- specific results these people have, that is what makes the value, right? And um, so I would say this value is an important piece of the irresistible offer. If I make you an irresistible offer, uh, for instance, I could say, hey, uh, we offer sales training, the best sales training in the world, right? You probably not be interested because the last thing you need now in a crisis is a sales training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got to do better. I got to do my job better, right? So why would somebody need a sales training? Um, to make sure that the few opportunities they create, uh, their conversion goes up, for instance, to make sure that the sales cycle becomes shorter. So now I have a package that will help you shorten your sales cycle and make sure that your conversion gets better because out of the few opportunities you have, you can generate in this marketplace. We will make sure you close more. Yeah. Right. So what else do I need? That is, I mean, that is not even the best job we could do at value, right? I could also tell you that your, the the average, um, I don't know, the average um, productivity of a salesperson increases by forty percent if we do this, and it only increases the salary by three percent and only temporary. That's the cost for the training, right? It's only three percent added to the salary only for a few months but the output will increase by 40% and it's going to start in three months, right? So now what, what, what else would you want? What, what else would you want as a customer? You would of course think, and you can tell me a lot if the day is long, right? Talk on bro. I don't believe anything, right? <laughs> so maybe, maybe uh, you want to put, put in your own numbers. Yeah. Maybe you want to run this return on invest. So I always have a simple return on invest calculation. It's not something scientific. It's not an Excel sheet. It's it's not intended, and it doesn't have to be um, a full blown out research project, right? A, a simple equation with the three most decisive numbers, for instance, right? That helps people understand the mechanics that lead to the success. Uh, to the success. And um, I think the most important piece, and that is what what a lot of people don't understand is um, even if you have dealt with every objection, even if you have argumented everything beautifully, even if it's undisputedly the right decision to buy from you, people will still feel that 
something could go wrong. Mm -hmm. That's because you never work together and so forth. So I think, especially today, you gotta you gotta have a pretty good risk reversal. Yeah. So that means you gotta do you gotta do anything that helps your customer feel that there's no risk. So I could tell you, hey, by the way, no strings attached. Don't take my word for it. Let's just train 10 people and see how it goes. The cost is on me. But I could, at the same time, I can get a commitment from you and say like, but if we train those 10 people and the result is good, can you commit to me that we will train the other 130? I don't know. You could do the same with your software. You could say like, hey, let's do, we can do an assisted trial. I will not, I will not let you do a trial without assistance because hell knows what you will do with it. Right? Yeah. Like but it. we can do, we can identify a use case, we can do an assisted trial, we can yeah. measure it back to back, look yeah. at the effects, and the, it's totally on me. I will even coach your people in the process, in the workflow. Yes. Right? And only if you are satisfied, only if you think it's beautiful, only then will you have to have another conversation with me, right? <laughs> yeah. right? But I, I, what I need from you today is a commitment that if we have green check marks behind the success criteria we will put this to work in your organization for instance right so the the, the thing is uh, the thing is to to take the risk on you mm -hmm. like it definitely and like get it. a commitment from the other side that they will help you you like they will help you avoid uh the situation where you have to provide the guarantee yeah Cool. Yeah, so guys out there, um, minimize the risk for the customer to to get to buy your stuff and yeah. uh, implement your stuff. I mean, that's the biggest risk for most companies anyway, the whole change management part. And something that will never change, Max, is when I talk to you, time goes by incredibly quickly. So I guess we have to <laughs> stop again here. Um, thanks a lot for for your insights. And uh, I look forward to talk to you very soon again. I guess it's going to be very soon, man. I guess. Yeah. Thanks, Patrick, for having me again. And everybody, who, if if you made if you made it through the whole session here, <laughs> thanks for our forty-two minute rant. I don't know how, how long it actually was. Um, a little bit longer. A little bit longer. We, we, we a little bit longer. So I'm um, sorry. Sorry for uh, shoving all the text down your ears. Um, I hope you all understand that we're excited for this topic, and we want you to to you like uh, get something beautiful out of your 45 minute investment. So if there's any question up your mind currently, if you're not sure if you got it right, or if you want some of the tips that we share in this podcast applied to your business, just drop us a direct message here or add, even if you, if you, if you are okay with this becoming a public conversation, just comment below the video. Um, we don't have an SLA. We will not reply within three minutes, but you can be sure that we will give you a thoughtful answer um, that is valuable for each and every one of you. Thanks for spending the time with us today and uh, good hunting. Lots of success to you wherever you are. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks man. Patrick. And have a good evening. You too. Bye. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.